scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 6, verses 14 through 22. You can read it on your analog Bibles if you have them or open it up in your phone. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three uh, or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning and welcome. Uh, Glad that you're here with us today. My name's Nathan, uh, one of the pastors. It's a joy to be able to... uh, Talk about that story. What a great story. A familiar story to many of us, uh, and yet uh, one that continues to be rich in my life, um, and hope it will be for you as well. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive into God's Word together. Father, even uh, as we prepare our hearts to open your Word this morning, we want to give you thanks because you are the giver of life. And we know and recognize that you love life from beginning to end all your children, each one of us, is precious in your sight. And we just want to give you thanks, even now in this moment as well, for this this moment in our country where stronger legal protection for the unborn is more possible than it has been in a very, very long time. As your people, give us courage to do what is right, and also grace and conviction to continue to work the work of supporting women and men in crisis pregnancy, to foster and adopt children whose parents are not ready to raise them and to work in areas to make abortion not only unthinkable but unnecessary. And give us extra love and patience as we know these disagreements are bound to increase in our culture in the months ahead. Spirit, give us strength to not only be hearers of your word but doers also. We want to thank you for the call to pursue justice in a broken and hurting world. Make us worthy of that calling. And now as we turn to this story, God, I'm, I'm so thankful that you are a God over the chaos and that we can trust you. Give us that, that confidence today. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the worst storm you've ever been in? Like, think back, like, think, think different ones. I mean, we, uh, we had those tornado sirens not too long ago that we all slept through. Uh, it turned out to be nothing, thankfully, uh, since most of us probably did sleep through them. Uh, so not, not that. Uh, the storm before that, we had a massive tree in our front yard fall over, uh, ma- like this big around. Thankfully, it didn't hit the house. Uh, but that wasn't, that wasn't e- either as far as, like, big storms in our life. I talked to, to Kelly. I asked her, like, what what is the biggest, what's, what's the worst one that we can remember? And we both had the same memory. It was at a little campground 
in Iowa, right alongside the Missouri River. The four of us in a tent, uh, not sleeping. Because uh, the storm like just raged outside all around us, like the wind and the thunder, the lightning, uh, the rain. I mean, I, I remember clearly like holding on to the tent poles so that they wouldn't snap in half, all the while thinking, if I get struck by lightning, this is it, right? Um, we had kind of like three options, it felt like, in that moment. Either, either we were going to go airborne uh, in this tent, uh, leave the world Dorothy style. Uh, a tree was going to fall on us and just slowly smother us. Uh, to death, crush us, uh, or the river, right right next to the river is going to rise to the point where it's just going to sweep us away to the great big campground in the sky, right? Uh, it, was, it was truly terrifying. Even when we got out that, that morning and looked around, there were branches down everywhere. Everything was fine. We were safe and all that, but it was, it was, absol- it was just terrifying. Now, now imagine like your worst storm experience and then put yourself on a boat in that storm. Uh, no thanks, right? I mean, how incredibly vulnerable. Like, did you, did you, uh, did you hear about the, the cruise ship that almost tipped over a couple years ago? Just watch this video for a second, just to get a little feel for what that must have been like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm guessing they probably lost at least one star on TripAdvisor. Uh, can you imagine? Like, I've, I've seen that video so many times now, and every time I'm like, oh, oh. It just, it's horrifying, right? It's absolutely terrifying to think about the vulnerability of being in a place like that. Now, do all of that, your worst storm, on a boat, but do it now in the ancient world. So no, no radars, no stabilizers, no rescue helicopter taking video ready to save you if if needed that was what the video was that we just saw just simple boats big seas and nasty storms it's no it's no wonder that back then the the sea was actually regularly used as a metaphor for like all that's evil in the world uh, it was used as like a, a word picture for all the, all the darkness, all the chaos, everything sort of unknown. I mean, it was, it's used regularly, even throughout Scripture. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But it was considered the place of just absolute, uncontrollable chaos. And the sea at night, in the dark, during a storm, without Jesus, like the chaos would have been overwhelming to these disciples. Now, this isn't the ancient world that we live in, right? And so we're not maybe as afraid of storms and seas as we used to be, although watching that boat, maybe, right? It's still, it's still a little scary for many of us. And yet when it comes to thinking about chaos and the sea as the symbol of chaos, anybody else feeling it right now? I mean, things feel, things feel ridiculously chaotic, right? In our world, in our lives, uh, as we look around us, and often as we look within us, there is chaos everywhere, and it is exhausting. Because with it, if you're like me, it comes with this, like, this underlying like, chronic sense of anxiety, right? We're all worried about everything. We're a little bit afraid, sometimes even angry as a result. All of these things swirling within us. This is the air we breathe right now, chaos. And there are times when it feels like it is literally crushing us. I'm not... I'm not alone, am I? And so, friends, how do we survive the chaos? 
If you haven't already, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Because in, in our last story, so if you hear last week, uh, as Paul led us, right, in God's word, uh, the last story, like Jesus fed thousands of people with nothing more than like some kid's lunchable, essentially, right? Uh, and he did so in the wilderness, like feeding God's people in the wilderness. And everyone there who was there in that day, they recognized this as a miracle like Moses. This is really important. This helps us understand even the story we're talking about today. A miracle like Moses, bread from heaven, right? Manna in the wilderness. Jesus did that. And it's such a big deal to the crowds. Like we know they recognized it as such because they want to go ahead and make Jesus king. They're like, if this guy could do this, like let's just go ahead and crown him already, right? They're, they're ready to do that. But what, what happened in that story? Verse, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And then perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, like who does that, right? I mean, imagine, imagine a star athlete about to be crowned MVP, uh, slowly, quietly slipping off to the locker room so nobody notices, right? Or, or a politician about to receive the nomination, but like heading out the back door before anyone can do Like, who does that, right? Jesus does. Because he knows. Jesus knows that his path to king requires a cross, and so even if you go back early on in the Gospel of John, early on in the, the Gospels, right, when Jesus is, is tempted in the wilderness, do you remember this story? He's like 40 days, he fasts, and, and, and Satan comes to him and, and tempts him. One of those temptations is essentially, Satan says, like, if you worship me, I can make you king without a cross. But Jesus said, no. He resisted the temptation, right? The, the wilderness for him was a place of, of strength, a place of, of, of resistance. And so now he flees again to the wilderness, to a mountain by himself, a place to find strength to resist again. But that leaves his disciples alone. And, and so they, they get in the boat to head across the Sea of Galilee alone. But these, these are fishermen, right? At least, at least four of them are, including John, right, who's writing this for us. Think about that. Like, John, John was there. He experienced this, and he's writing down the things that he remembers, that he wants us to know about that experience. And these, these fishermen, they'd grown up in the water, right? They knew how to handle a boat. They'd seen every storm. But this, something about this, like verse 16, it says, When evening came, the disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Which is a really important phrase. Jesus, he's not there, right? John wants us to know he's not there yet. That gives, that's, a, that's a place of, of perilous uh, worry, right? He's not there. And there, there are a couple of things that, that John is doing here that we tend to miss as modern readers. One is when, when John uses the word dark in all of his writings in the New Testament, it almost always means more than just literally dark. Like, yes, it's literally dark, right? It's, it's night, uh, but it's, for him, it's, it's, it's more than dark. It's like scary dark, spooky dark, right? Stranger things kind of dark, right? Spiritually dark. And again, the sea, as I mentioned at the start, the sea was considered a place of uncontrollable chaos, Right? In fact, this goes back all the way to the second verse in the Bible. 
So if you go back to Genesis, uh, the, the, the world as God is creating it. Listen, listen to how it's described in, in verse, verse 2, as God creates. Verse 2 of, of Genesis 1 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so in, in the ancient world, the reason I, I read that, like in the ancient world, like this is how you described the unordered world. Like the, play, the place of, of chaos, right? Uh, darkness and watery depths, right? A world without God's ordering, life-giving presence. This is, this is how you described it. This is, this is why, actually, then when you get to Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, which is written by John, right? Uh, there, as John describes the new creation, the future that we're headed towards as God's people, there's no sea. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Does God just hate the beach? No right? That's not, that's not it. It's because the sea is the place of chaos, of unordered darkness. Like, and nobody, nobody wants that in the ancient world. And so that's, that's kind of the thread that John is, is doing. Again, this is, it's literally dark. It's literally the sea, but it means more than that as John writes these things for us. But right now, they're on this boat in the dark, in the chaotic waters. And so it's, it's ominous already. And John tells us they've already rowed about three or four miles, which would be the middle of the sea, depending on where, where they left from. Exactly. We don't know exactly, but what John has communicated, they've been at it for a while. Like, they're deep into it at this point, right? There's no turning back. They're far across. And a storm, a storm rolls in. Verse 18. The sea became rough. Because a strong wind was blowing. And my mind goes back to that cruise ship, and I want to get off the boat, right? But they're in the middle of the water. There's nothing that they can do at this point. And if that's not terrifying enough, like off, off in the distance, right, they see a figure on top of the water walking towards them, right? Is it a ghost, a sea monster? Is it the dread pirate Roberts from uh, Princess Bride? Like something is out there, and it's like it's making things worse, right? It's, it's terrifying for them. Walking on the water. Verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now, I like just for a moment, just thinking about this from, from Jesus' perspective, because that's kind of a long walk, Right? Uh, I, don't, I don't know the, the, the pace for walking on water. Uh, and I guess it was probably hilly because of the, the storm. But like he's, he's also been at it for a while. And he's making good time. He's catching up with them, right? And they see him, but they don't recognize him. And they're afraid. So why, why don't they recognize Jesus? I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons. It's dark, it's a storm, and who would expect him to come out on the water like that, right? And yet, I love how scholar Herman Ritterboss answers that question. I think it's really helpful to understanding the story. Why don't they recognize him? Because, he says, they had never learned to know Jesus in that way. And thus, in that place, and horrendous situation, had not expected him at all. They didn't recognize him because they weren't expecting him. And again, like, you can't blame them. Like, who would expect Jesus to walk on water? They hadn't yet learned to know him in that way. But this, this really struck me as I thought about this week, church, because, like, we have learned to know him in that way. Like, we have all these stories. We know what Jesus is capable of. And yet, 
like here we are, chaos raging all around us, do we expect him? Do we expect him to walk up right in the middle of all this chaos? And that's, that's really the question that's haunted me this week. Where, sh- where should I be expecting Jesus right now? With the implication that maybe I'm not, right? Where should you be expecting Jesus right now? I actually want you to like, like think about that for a moment. Like take just a few seconds and like answer that question. Where do you feel the most chaos in your life? The most darkness? Perhaps the most fear? Find that place mentally. And then ask yourself, am I expecting Jesus to show up there? Because the storm in this story is actually not the danger. I know, like, it feels like the danger. I'm sure it felt like the danger to the, the disciples. Like, and it feels like the danger to us, like whatever the chaos is that we're experiencing. But that is not the danger in this story or in our lives. Cyril of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers from the 5th century, he put it something like this. He said that the, the danger is not the storm. The real danger is that Jesus is not yet with them. That's the problem here. Because storms happen. Chaos is real. Our world is full of it. So are our hearts. And Jesus, he allows the storm, just as he allows the storms in your life and in mine. And so the, the tragedy here is not the storm. The tragedy is being alone in the storm. And so even when I ask that question, where should we be expecting Jesus right now? I'm not, I'm not asking, like, where do you expect Jesus to fix your problems, right? That's what we want. I'm not, I'm not asking, like, where, where do you expect him to make your life a little bit more comfortable again, where, like, to calm the storm? No, that's not, that's not the question here. The question is, where do you expect him to join you in the storm? Because that's what he does right here. So again, go back, go back to the story. Because the, the, storm, the storm is raging, right? The sea feels very much out of control. And the darkness is overwhelming, and they, they see someone walking towards them, right? And they were frightened. But Jesus said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, I find it so interesting here that John doesn't say anything about the, this sea being calmed, right? Matthew and Mark, when they, they tell their version of this, this story, their experience of what happened, they, they include that. And so John was there. Like, he, he knew that that happened. He remembered that happening. But apparently, it's not the most important thing for John. It's not the most important thing that he wants us to remember. I think what he wants us to remember is that the most important thing Jesus can do in the chaos, the most important thing he can do in the chaos is to join us in it. For us to be able to hear him say, it's me. I'm here. Whether whether the storm rages or not, whether the chaos ever stops, I am with you. Which leads leads to the second question that I've been wrestling with as I've thought about this story. What do you need to hear from Jesus right now? Think about that. What do you need to hear? Because I don't, I don't need to hear him say, COVID will never be a problem again and we'll never fight about masks ever again. I don't need to hear him say that. I'd like to. It'd be great, right? 
I don't, I don't need to hear him say that inflation is going to stabilize and that our retirement funds are going to eventually bounce back. I'd like to hear that. I don't need to hear him say that. Or, or, or that so-and-so is going to win the next election. That, or that I, I don't need to be worried about Russia or China or North Korea. Like, I'd love to hear him say, I don't need to hear those things. Or even, even the things that are more personal, like I would love to hear him say, you know what, Nathan, your kids, they're going to turn out just fine. I don't need to hear him say that. Or Nathan, you, you and Kelly, you guys, you're going you're gonna to be able to grow old together. It's going to be fine. I don't need to hear him say that. Or that Christ's community is going to be okay long into the future. These are things I want to hear from him, but I don't need to hear that. What I need to hear from him is, Nathan, I'm not going anywhere. I see you. I'm with you. I know, I know the storm. I know, I know how hard it is. I know how afraid you are. I understand, and I am not going anywhere. That is what we need to hear more than anything else. And this means so much to me uh, for two reasons in particular. Two reasons. It's not, just, it's not just anybody who shows up here, okay? I mean, just like imagine being on a boat and like uh, some random guy shows up. It's like, hey, I'm Ron. Uh, don't be afraid. Like that actually would make things worse, wouldn't it? You don't want that. But there are two things here that make this one different, make this different. One is theological and one is relational. But both are really important. So theologically, uh, and and scholars scholars point this out, uh, when Jesus says, it is I, uh, it's the same language for I am. And Jesus does this about seven or eight times uh, in John. And I am is the the name for God, for for Yahweh in the Old Testament, right? It's the name. Remember, we talked about the references to uh, Moses earlier, right? And, and the Passover and all of that, right? It, that was the name, you know, when, when God showed up to Moses in the burning bush. M- Moses was like, who should I say has sent me, right? Who's, who are you? Uh, and he said, I am, right? I am who I am. Tell them that that is the person who sent you. Um, and I'm really confused by the lights. Is the lights confusing anybody else? Is that? I just want to acknowledge that. That's not like a thematic experience. We're in the storm together. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just a symbol that we truly are in a chaotic world and we can't control things. So, I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll figure it out for next service. I don't know. But uh, just wanted to just name that. Okay, so, but go back. Okay, theologically, Jesus says it is me. This is the same as I am, okay? The name, the name for God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. Now, there's debate on what exactly Jesus is doing here. Like, what exactly does this mean? But with with we already said, like, with the preceding story, like, the crowds recognize Jesus as somebody like Moses, someone who can provide bread from heaven like Moses. And like Moses, Jesus heads off to the wilderness, right, to the mountain. But here's where Moses and Jesus are so different. Moses parts the Red Sea. It's pretty cool. I mean, I'd love to give it a try. I'd love to have seen that, Right? And Joshua, Joshua does something similar. So, so do Elijah and Elisha. And these are like some of the, like the biggest names in the Old Testament, right? They all part the waters. There's only one who can walk on top of them. There's only one who literally puts the chaos. Remember, the sea is always more than just a sea. There's only one who puts the chaos under his feet to say, I, I'm over all of it. I'm bigger than all of it. I'm in control of all. Others part the water. Only Jesus rules over them. And so what, what Jesus does here is more than him just saying, 
like your friend Ron showing up. Like this is, I am, I am is here. God himself who rules even over the chaos. So that's, that's the theological region, reason why this is so important. The relational reason is that there's nothing we fear more than being alone. Right? The chaos is always worse in isolation. And if we're completely honest with ourselves and others, we're terrified of it. In fact, Kurt Thompson, when he was with us last fall, uh, he made this really powerful observation. At least it really, it's, it stuck with me. He said that when we name our fears, like if I were to ask you, like, what are your greatest fears? Uh, we would list events, typically, like death of a loved one, a bad medical report, uh, losing my job, failure. Like, we'd list specific things. But what he points out is actually what we're really afraid of in those moments is not the event itself. It's how we're going to feel if those things happen to us, right? It's the emotions, and that we're going to feel isolated in those emotions. There's not going to be anyone else to carry those emotions, to carry us out of those emotions, and that we're going to drown right there in those emotions. And that what he tells, what that, that fear tells us, he said, is that that means that most of us already feel pretty alone right now because we expect things like they are now to happen in the future, right? And so he says that even, even as we understand our greatest fears, they're all tied to the sense that, we are, that nobody's going to show up. Nobody's going to be big enough to care for me, to help me in those places. And then I'm going to have to go through them alone, and we're already so lonely. But right here, Jesus, the great I am, says, I'm here. And the one who walks on water will not let you drown. Because Jesus is closer than the chaos, and his presence with you is stronger than the chaos around you, and his presence within you through his spirit is stronger even than the chaos within you. Because Jesus entered the chaos for you. Like, church, this is the gospel. Like, this is, this, is the, this is what Jesus did for us. He entered into the chaos. I mean, think about that. Our God knows what it's like. Not only does he walk upon the chaos, right, but he enters into it, into our broken world with us. This is why he came. This is why he died. This is why he lives, so, to rescue us so that he can be with us in the chaos and to get us through to the other side so that he can be with us forever. Scarlet Hiltabittle uh, in her brilliant and funny book, Afraid of All the Things, Tornadoes, Cancer, Adoption, and Other Stuff You Need the Gospel For. I love that title. Listen to what she says. She writes, The gospel tells me I can't fix myself. The gospel tells me I can't protect myself. But the gospel tells me I can rest, knowing that Jesus walked into this broken, sad, scary place to rescue me and love me and cast out my fear. And he did, and he does, and he will. Of course, I, I know what some of you are thinking, and I'm, I'm right there with you. It's like, okay, Nathan, that's great. Jesus is with me. I know, I know, right? But I don't, I don't feel like he's with me. I still feel alone. I, I'm, I'm listening for his voice, right? But the storm is so loud around me. I can't, I can't hear him say these things, right? I, I understand, like, if you feel that way, you, you are not alone. Or, or maybe that's not quite you, but you just, you, you keep, like, forgetting to remember that he's with you. And so you just charge into the chaos day after day after day, and it is lonely, and it is exhausting. I do that as well. But you remember how this, this story started? It starts with Jesus going into the mountain alone. And we know, we know from other places in Scripture he does this, right, because it's a place of, of resistance. 
It's a, it's a place of strength for him. It's a place where he goes to be with his father, right, to pray. And I just, I, I love this because, like, could it be that the Son of God also longed for those places where he could hear the father whispering to him, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. And church, we need those places too. I struggle to hear God's voice, but I regularly hear it most in two places, and I want to just commend those to you uh, before, I, before I end here. Two places in particular. One is through his word. Right? He's, he's actually said quite a bit to us. And if you're in a place where you feel the chaos is drowning, you need to go back here over and over again. Maybe the Psalms. That's, I started rereading the Psalms uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I do that like twice a year, I think it seems like. I love the Psalms. It's a place that reminds me that God is with me, that he is, he's for me, and that he's ultimately in control. So that's, that's number one. You've, you've, gotta, you've got to hear from his word. But I also know there are times when even that falls flat, right? Uh, and it's not... It's not God's word, it's me, right? I'm not able to hear it for some reason. And sometimes when I hear somebody else who I love and respect say the same things to me that I know God is saying, when you hear it come out of another person's voice, out of their mouth, it just does something, right? We need his people. We need to be in places of community where we can remind each other and ourselves of the things that we hold dear to, that we can, we can sing together, even if you can't sing, right? Even if you don't feel like singing these things of confidence in God, we can hear one another singing those things on our behalf, and so actually, I want to I end with this, and it's going to get weird for a minute. Sorry about that. Not, sorry, not sorry, I guess. Uh, it's going to get weird, but just hang with me. So I want everybody to like, close your eyes. Okay, you can do it. Close your eyes. It's not that weird. Close your eyes. Um, it'll help with the lights anyway, I guess. Um, close your eyes and just imagine the chaos, whatever it is, whatever came to your mind first when you thought about that, that place that just feels too much right now. It could be a relationship, your cubicle, the next doctor's visit. Picture that place. Knowing that nothing is too ordinary, too hard, too messy, or too profane. Do you feel the storm raging? I just want you to hear these words as you imagine yourself there in that place. Jesus saying to you, to you, I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Jesus, we thank you for being closer than the chaos, for joining us in the storm and for being stronger so that you promise to never leave your children, that you will never walk out on us, that you'll never turn your back to us, that you are always walking towards us even if you have to cross a stormy sea to get there. And so, Jesus, we just say thank you. Thank you for conquering the chaos ultimately through your death and resurrection, that it is all under your feet, and one day it will be no more. And yet here we are. And so in the meantime, we pray that we would hear your voice and that we would believe deep within our bones when you say, I am here, do not be afraid. We believe you, Jesus, and we love you too. Amen.